Welcome to Chronic Combat Conversations, a live look at our best bets, picks, and predictions for every UFC card with your hosts, TB Scouting MMA and the Guru back once again for UFC Vegas 43, also known as UFC on ESPN Plus 56 or UFC Fight Night 198. Caitlin Vieira versus Misha Cupcake Tate at uh, for the in the bantamweight division. Uh, de- definitely an interesting main event that we have here. Um, the rest of the card itself is actually pretty darn exciting. Uh, you got Michael the Maverick Chiesa returning after his uh, disappointing performance against Vicente Luque against undefeated top prospect Sean Brady. Um, man, that fight is, uh, I, I almost kind of, not to be disrespectful to the ladies, but I do kind of wish that that was the five rounder we were getting. I definitely agree with that. But as far as importance in the division, I could definitely see why they made Vieta versus Tate the main event. So, uh, I, I totally respect it. And, and you know what, if one of them might end up getting a title shot soon, you'd love to see them get the five round experience. So I can't hate on it too much, but as far as the fights I'm most excited for, I mean, listen, Michael Chiesa versus Sean Brady, if that doesn't get you going, man, uh, we got to get you checked out by the doctor, you know? Like, uh, that should get the blood pumping for sure. And fan favorite Terrence McKinney makes his return against uh, a Farazium, who's, uh, right, the smile killer. What an apropos uh, name for him. He's he's crushed a lot of smiles by decision, betting tickets, and his former opponents. So uh, he Terrence says to tune in his fight so i'm definitely excited to see that hell yeah you know i'll be there for it so (laughs) well at least not in person but listen uh i think you know i'm very excited to get down and uh you know really get down into this card Uh, and we start off here um with luana pinero versus sam hughes uh i actually did not get to the stats for this fight but uh I i am very excited to see how how we get it matched up here because Luana Pinero comes in, she's actually giving up three inches of height and two inches of reach, but she makes up for that with some power and explosion. Um, she is going to be two years younger, but uh, she has that one win in the UFC so far by Brandon Marcos getting DQ'd with an illegal upkick. Um, yeah, I she, think, you know. she she deserved she deserved an Emmy for that one, man. And I didn't really understand it because. She was really winning the fight. And, man, I watched that upkick live. I rewatched it again this week. I probably rewatched it for Random Marcos a couple weeks ago. I, yeah, listen, it hit her. I'm sure it didn't feel good. But that was that was some soccer acting, if I've ever seen it. I think I think she was gassing out. Because if, if memory serves me right, that was towards the end of that first round. And if we look at uh, Luana Pinera, if you look at her her – her her record here she's she the only time she's been outside the the first round was in 2017 which was a split decision loss so really really tough for us to to play her at over minus 400 here when uh yeah sam Hughes has looked like you know respectfully like a bit of a punching bag so far in the ufc but if she's able to survive if the homer simpson effect is there if she can survive some punishment, is it possible that Panera punches herself out here? I could totally see that happening. 
Uh, Sam Hughes, while she's ineffective completing her takedowns, she's effective in getting the fights in the clinch and, and against the cage. However, I could see that being a detriment when it comes to the throws and the judo ability that you're getting out of Pinheiro. And then she also has the jujitsu background. So it's not like, you know, she doesn't know what she's doing down there. She has five submission wins in her career. Uh, she's a national judo champ, judo black belt, jujitsu purple belt. Uh, she was also, you know, a national wrestling silver medalist. So really it does just come down to the gas tank questions and can she get a first round finish? Because the second this fight gets into the second round, that's where if I'm in a live betting scenario, I'm throwing down money on Sam Hughes. But um, yeah, I, I, realistically, we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, if if I was going to bet anything on this fight before it started, I think that realistically, um, you know, I, I wouldn't think it would be that crazy to see this fight end in the first round. Or, I mean, if, if you get that 60 second, you know, finish. I mean, Pinero could totally just overwhelm Sam Hughes plus 900 in the first minute. I mean, that's crazy. But realistically, if you just wanted to say, you know, Pinero inside the distance or Pinero first round, uh, th those would be really kind of what I'm looking for. Pinero in round one is plus 215. So really, really crazy. I was I was almost thinking that this might be one of those spots that well, I was wondering what we get for a line, wondering if maybe that's the spot we want to fade the narrative. But they have the line juiced or uh, written like it's a – I feel like it's a, like a quote-unquote normal uh, women's fight. They have the under 2.5 at plus 100 and over 2.5 at minus 130. So, I mean, is it hmm. not – And I mean, 2.5 rounds, like it's we'll, – like you're, we, we figure that we're going to know by the end of round one whether it's going to go the distance or not. Like if we go to the round two – Unless she's again, like really, unless she smashes her in those first opening minute and thirty seconds of round two as well, I, I, I think that's going the distance. I completely agree. I just I can't find myself pulling the trigger on you know picking Sam Hughes to win outright. I do think that maybe the line value has gotten out of hand if you were looking for like parlay pieces, but that doesn't mean that I really side with Sam Hughes technically. I just, I think her being the bigger fighter and possibly being able to wear throughout some of the damage in the first round, she has shown, you know, to be able to work uh, past, you know, the first round with Loma. But, you know, when, when she faced Tisha Torres and faced the onslaught, there was a really weird eye injury. So, you know, her, her having the doctor stoppage was certainly interesting, but um, yeah, I can't blame her. Apparently if they hadn't caught it, it could have been like a, a career threatening type of deal. Did did you see this line for Panera on KO? Because they don't have it on FanDuel yet, but DraftKings has it at plus four fifty. Plus four fifty. How, how hmm. is that like? I'm confused. Is I mean, is that not her most likely way to win? Is this line not going to flip? Come, like, are they not going to realize that maybe they posted this wrong? Or, or I think they I saw Loma. Loma landed four takedowns on Sam Hughes. I mean, Pinero is going to land some takedowns. It's just a question of is she going to be hunting for the submission or the ground and pound when she's on top in round one? Because, like, round one is not going to be pretty. So it's like that's why I think the inside the distance is, like, plus 215. You might as well just just take that and meet in the you're middle right. on the line. Yeah, because they have – you're right. And that's, that's Pinero has five submission wins and two knockouts in her career and and one DQ wins. So, I mean, that's yeah, that, that, that's my thought. That, 
Yeah, that's why, and that is why because they have submission by plus one eighty. Sorry, that's it's not an egregious line. That now, no, I no. Well, that's fair. I think we gave our finish, best thoughts on that fight, right? What, what was the line by finish? Plus by finish was plus two fifteen. Yeah, that would be the way to play Panero. Otherwise, you know, maybe just stay. Yeah, there. I mean, she has seven finishes and one decision win in her career. I would I would much rather take the plus two fifteen on her winning inside the distance if I was gonna take anything. Oh, wow. I'm sorry, it was round one. It was round one was plus two fifteen. I'm sorry. Uh what's the winning method and the inside the distance to win by finish? Uh Panero is plus one ten. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm confused about what you're talking about. <laughs> Panero Panero inside the distance is plus one ten. I like Panero round one at plus two fifteen. Oh, you said it was plus two. You had it wrong, is what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Round one is the number I liked at, at plus two fifteen. Because if if a finish happens, it's it's going to come early. Yeah, I was going to say because that line didn't make any sense. No, it didn't. It didn't. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, anyways, uh, let's uh, let's get moving along to our next fight, where uh, the the line is almost similarly as wide. We have uh, Sean Soriano versus Shailon Nurdenbeka. This is a, a pretty straightforward striker versus grappler matchup. But Soriano also has a little bit of a background in wrestling himself. He was actually a state champion growing up but in, in high school. But I think you see that more offensively than defensively when it comes to Soriano. So I think can Nerd and Becca close the distance and avoid getting knocked out? Because, I mean, realistically, his, his defense isn't that great. But with the line at Soriano minus two seventy five and Nerd and Becca at plus two twenty, I would much rather look for a prop on this fight. Is that where, is that where you're leaning? I mean, it's dog or pass for me, honestly. I, I mean, maybe the fight not to go the distance, but I assume that that line is going to be juiced. So, what do we have a line on that? Let's see, pulling it up right now. Uh, so the fight. To and inside the distance, minus one thirty-five. Mm, that's interesting. I feel like Nerd and Becca, you know, when he faced Kulibau in his last fight, he was he was giving up a lot of size, and here, you know, you can see he's giving up one inch in height and one inch in reach, but. He was giving up three inches of height and three inches of reach to Josh Coolibau in his last fight. And Coolibau showed a lot of technical prowess in stuffing takedowns. I mean, when you look at the distance striking and any of the striking numbers, uh, I mean, I know it's a really small sample size for Nerd and Becky given his one fight in the UFC. But Soriano, we know about his his history as a coach at, at Sanford. So, you know, I mean, listen, when you're a kickboxing coach there and you're, you've been working with Henry Hoof your whole career, it's not surprising to see that he's outclassing Nerd and Becca in almost every category when it comes to the striking. However, you can also see that when when you get down to the wrestling, this is where Nerd and Becca is going to have the advantage. Now, his takedown percentage is absolute shit because he went to a 14 against Cooley Bow, but he showed impressive chain wrestling ability before he gassed out at the end of the first round. And that seems to be the, the kryptonite of Sean Soriano. I mean... When you look back at his UFC career, right, giving up takedowns, takedown after takedown to Charles Rosa, to Chaz Skelly, to uh, Kawajiri, um, not not good. And that, you know, it led to him being cut from the UFC, essentially. 
and then you know he came back and against Christos Yagos on short notice, you know, I guess upper weight division, right? Yeah, yeah. upper weight to upper weight division as well. You know, on short notice, so he does the UFC a favor. That's kind of how he gets his shot back in. Um, other than I'm sure being well connected with uh, Henry, <laughs> and you know, he shows he is a great first round. Um, but that the end of that first round is super sketchy, and then he loses the second. Like he shows that his wrestling is still a problem, and like not only like a a small problem, but like a liability. Like he can't get up. I feel like Soriano is way too willing to engage in the wrestling when he should be using whatever skills he has from his time wrestling in the past to be avoiding wrestling at all costs, like a Justin Gaethje type of deal. Because you know what it is? That's exactly what it is. He has the wrestling base, so he I, I would assume that he does feel some level of competency and confidence wrestling. Uh, it's not the wrestling that's his weakness. That's where I was mistaken. It's the jujitsu that's clearly the weakness. He gives up the submissions. He gives up the the cheap scramble and then puts himself in a bad position and is not um, as technically sharp in those jujitsu uh, realms. And he gets he puts himself in trouble. So is is Shaylin the type of guy that uh, is good enough at jujitsu to maybe make him pay for that? I'm not a hundred percent sure, but what I do know is that I'm not paying minus three hundred on Sean Soriano. I will say it was a little bit sketchy how Nerd and Becca. I mean, like he probably could have been knocked out by Koulibau if Koulibau just threw together a combination instead of just single shots against him. But he did, you know, show to be able to take a shot there. My concern is that Soriano is going to be throwing together combos, and if Nerd and Becca can't dictate it with the wrestling pace then it could get uglier as the fight goes on. So, I mean, I totally get your point, though, because a guy like Sean Soriano, I mean, should he really ever be a minus 275? Uh, Becca by submission is plus 1,200 if you think Soriano loses once again his fifth fight in the UFC uh, by submission. And Becca does have five submission wins in his career. So it, it's not out of the question, but he likes to throw the heat, too, on the regional scene, nine knockouts. It's just not really a fight that I want to have too much exposure on in any which way i don't really nope. feel super confident about sean soriano and even in a dog play where you know that's kind of a cool idea like it it doesn't really uh doesn't really work for me is that is that the same guy how is that possible oh it's not the same guy he he fought a different he bought he beat a different alexio linick what are the chances that <laughs> someone is also named alexio linick that's a great question but Hey, anyway. uh, listen. <laughs> Anyways, let's uh, let's get on to our next fight here. We got Please. Cody Cody Durden versus Arichilang, and yeah, I mean Arichilang coming off of a, a fight of the night performance against Jeff Molina, and Cody Durden, I mean he he put on quite a pace in the first round against Chris Gutierrez before giving up the last two. I mean he got a 10-8 first round, so he gets a draw in his first appearance. And then uh, follows it up by getting flying triangle by Jimmy Flick. But he was winning the first few minutes of that fight. Like 30 significant strikes to one or something. Like he was dominating that fight. And he just kind of gets caught in this, uh, I don't know, just one of these polarizing moments in like MMA history kind of with the flying triangle. It's just, uh, yeah, it's just, just incredible stuff from Jimmy Flick. And he takes that 50 grand and uh, I support of 
Yeah, I um, I, I really feel like this fight is uh, bound to bring the heat as well. Uh, Durden loves bringing a pace. I am curious about how long he could keep said pace, especially coming off of ACL surgery. And then Arichi Long, we saw him kind of slow down a little, but it came on the heel of like a knockdown. So was it more that he got hurt or was it more that he gassed out? Because he still put on a fucking pace, keeping up with Jeff Molina for the most part. I mean, when you look at the just the significant strikes absorbed and faced, I mean, in one fight, 189 strikes absorbed, but he still landed 111 himself. That's impressive no matter what. I, I just am curious. Cody Durden seems to have legit grappling. So can Arichi Long defend himself? Because he has three submission losses in his career with only one win. And Durden's got five submission wins in his career with two submission losses. I could see Durden pulling the same type of game plan he pulled on Gutierrez. Yeah, I mean, honestly, Durden has showed himself to be shifty. He's a good striker. And like you said, he he showed himself with the grappling, um, earning that 10-8 round, uh, uh, grappling with Chris Gutierrez, holding him down for that whole first round. And Gutierrez has showed himself to be an absolute fucking stud, man, the dark horse of that division. Um, really, really good. So when you look at what Durden did to him, um, I, I certainly, you know, in hindsight now, 2020, uh, was impressed and then you look at somebody like Ariki lang um Ariki lang he's very technical he does have the good footwork but he he walks forward a ton and that could that can be a problem with somebody like durden who um is gonna have uh, i mean right he doesn't have the he doesn't actually have the reach advantage there which is kind of interesting because he he just kind of fights like the longer guy um The, when you look back at that Jeff Molina fight, that fight was about as even as possible with Jeff Molina until about 10 seconds left in round two when he gets absolutely clobbered with a jab when he throws a lazy kick because he kind of thought the round was ending. After he got clobbered with that jab, man, he was never the same. I mean, he was rocked. So he came out angry and mad and just... He threw absolute reckless abandonment to the to the wind in, in in that in that third round, and he just, I mean, he had no head movement to begin with, but the no head movement was now pronounced because of his Korean zombie like, just continuing to walk forward forward through the punishment. Um, I I just think that Cody Durden at this stage has, you know looked at least relatively better against better competition. So I, I kind of feel like maybe it's a, maybe it's a cheap way to look at it, but I feel like maybe Durden's due for a win. Uh, yeah. Well, I think, you know, Richie Long definitely faced some, you know, issues in his first fight, not having his corner because there was uh, some, some travel issues from coming over from the Shanghai PI, but I don't know that he's, he's enough of like, more than just an exciting fighter. Yeah. I, at I this had no stage. idea about the ACL surgery, by the way. So that was news to me. What did this line open up at? This is what I'm looking at right now. Um, so this yeah, it line, opened so, up as even. Yeah, so that's that's what I thought. So I don't really like where it's at now. I don't love Cody Dernan at minus 155. I like him no. better at minus 135. Minus <laughs> like, 
Yeah, I, I feel like um, Durden by submission at plus 650 would be the only way I would want to play him because otherwise I would probably just stay away from this. But plus 650 for, you know, Richie Long has three submission losses and Durden has five submission wins. I, I like think that. that there might be an angle there. Yeah, I like that as our half greasy submission prop because uh yeah i mean uh there might be there might be someone else coming up but uh yeah that's, uh, yeah that, that's uh that's a greasy submission prop for me i think I like um it. yeah I, but listen i i think that this is not a fight that i want to throw a lot of money on <laughs> i don't think you should either you're gonna hear that a lot this card a little bit i mean not to be like a, a downer but like this is a this is a learning card this is a building block type of card we're gonna have some bets out don't get me wrong and we're gonna cash them but this is a this is a learning card where where where, where us handicappers we get to we get to sit back and we get to take a lot of notes because you're gonna see um all of these fighters really at least most of them get another chance in the ufc so we're, a lot of these guys don't have a lot of experience terrence mckinney's of the world even the cody <laughs> durden's you know what I mean? So it, it, this is definitely some good stuff here. Yeah. So here we go. We're, we're on to our next fight. And this is where we really start getting into some interesting matchups as far as uh, a little more experience, a little bit more hype. Farisium, minus 115. Terrence McKinney, minus 105. That line's been fluctuating. Uh, it, it opened up dead even. Uh, McKinney went to a slight favorite, jumped back down to a plus 105 for a very short period. And then gets back back to minus one hundred five. So it seems like people can't really make a, a decision on where it should be. But I mean, uh, where I'm standing on this fight, you know, Farisium definitely holds the the three inch height advantage. You know, two inch reach. I just think Terrence McKinney, coming off of that seven second debut knockout, I don't know that a lot of people are familiar with how good of a wrestling background this guy has. Um, he. He wrestled uh, in high school. Michael Chiesa was his coach. He went off to Notre Dame, wrestled in college. Then he has a he just got uh, promoted to a jujitsu purple belt uh, very recently. In that Sean Woodson fight on Dana White Contender Series, I, I was super impressed with his technical ability and strength um, in in the wrestling. Uh, works a body triangle really well, but ultimately. Woodson shows enough defensively to be able to survive, and, and McKinney just completely fucking gasses out and and shoots desperately and wildly. Uh, yeah, is this I mean, similar thing going to happen here against him? It's hard. It's hard not to not to worry. It's at the very least, it's hard not to worry that it can happen because we haven't seen it in his last four fights. The dude has fought for like three minutes or some shit like. And he got choked out by Derek Minner, right? In a one in a second in, in one minute. As well. Yeah, but that happens in Derek Minner fights. No, of course it does. Okay, so that but that this is what I'm saying though. That dude has strapped on gloves and made weight five times for his in the row right now for his professional career. And then is like done fighting a minute later. Like it's just been it's just been bizarre. I don't know how. And Freesium just continually keeps going to decision here in the UFC, huh? So it's like one of those things, like either Freesium, like we all expect him to go the distance, and he's gonna get sparked in 15 seconds, and it's gonna be crazy, or he is gonna go the distance. <laughs> I'm not sure that he has 
the defense once he's on the mat. It seemed like against Luigi Vendramini that Frizium did a good job, you know, leading with, uh, you know, he had his knee cocked and ready to go. Uh, anytime Luigi, like, kind of fainted changing levels, he threw a lot of front kicks. So I think that's all there and good and well, but McKinney definitely has a lot more power and size coming back. And I think, although not a lot of people can match Ziem's size in this division, uh, McKinney's going to make up for it in strength and explosive ability. Um, I don't think that he hurts him as much on the feet as much as he can get him to the cage and get to those clinch grappling exchanges and either take the back or get an explosive double leg. I do envision McKinney having a ton of success in the first round. It is a question mark of what happens when it gets past there. Um, and ZM has at least shown that he can survive. But listen, his round three against Ventramini could have very well been scored a 10-8. And that started on the feet where he nearly got knocked down. And then there was like a takedown scored. But I thought it was more like him being wobbled and hurt more so than like a technical takedown by Ventramini. But listen, Terrence McKinney's offensive wrestling, I just think is so much better. And give me the dog odds on that type of guy that, you know, in a smaller cage here, he's going to get the opportunity to work Zim backwards. And uh, I think he'll get him to the mat in the first round. That is interesting because I, I did think that uh, you, you felt that Zim, uh, that McKinney would have a stronger first round. And maybe I, w- I was wondering that if, if Zim would be able to use his his pop and his strikes, especially in the first round, and use his length to maybe maintain that distance and not give up those takedowns. But um, he hasn't, like you said, he hasn't really fought anybody that's trying to trying to match his, uh, like Terrence McKinney well. His last few fights have been in a bigger cage, CM. This is his first one where he's going to be in the apex. Uh, when you, you went to one of his fights against Benjamin, yes, right? Yes, I did. And that was in that was in a 30-foot octagon. This is now 25 feet, and you're talking about McKinney makes up all that explosion to, to make up the size disadvantage, you know? And, and, then, actually, and then he's got the wrestling ability. You know what? That's actually a really, really, really interesting point. Um, all three of his UFC fights, including his debut against Don Madge, Khabib Poirier, has all been in a big octagon. So this is his first in a small octagon, and his style needs the big octagon. Give me Terrence McKinney here. Yeah, minus 105. And and at the weigh-ins, it, I mean, listen, face off all that, it might slide the other way because of the size difference. So hang tight. Let's. But I'm, I'm going McKinney. Yeah, let's do it. All right, on to our next fight. Uh, we got Loma Lubunmi versus Lupi Godinez. Uh, this this one is going to be we got to talk about Lupi for a second. We got to talk about Lupi for a second, right? Go she's ahead. Breaking the, she's breaking the modern UFC record, right? Is it four? Is it forty-two days? Three fights in forty-two days. She beats she beats Cerrone. She beats Angela Hill. She beats Chimaev, right? Yeah. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's, uh, it's incredible. She fought, uh, October 9th, then fought October 16th and now returns back November 20th. I mean, it's just, uh, I, I, I can't even, I can't even, it's, uh, it's just, it's just something that we don't really get to appreciate enough because, you know, we see hockey games every day or we see basketball games every other day, um, well, we see fighters make these turnarounds, but for this chick to come back around um, within a month and fight again for a third time, uh, hats off to her. She, I mean, she getting paid. <laughs> so, so, so that's awesome. Yeah, I, I really think, man, uh, this fight it opened up uh, with Loma at plus one thirty, 
and uh, Loopy at minus 150. I thought this line might close up a little bit more, but I mean, Loma's at plus 140 now. Um, I, I, I remain curious, you know, because Loopy, she did go up and fight a much bigger fighter, and she has shown persistence and a good gas tank and an overall good wrestling ability. But I mean, listen, even, even in Loopy's last fight, um, I, I thought. You know, in the early stages where she gets the fight down to the ground, you know, she, she lets her get back up. The control isn't overall great aside from, like, clinching cage control overall. And while she's opportunistic in getting that arm bar, it looked to be more of a mistake from her opponent. And and Loma has shown to be super strong. Uh, her takedown defense has improved leaps and bounds. She's shooting immediately for underhooks. Uh, and and she's low to the ground, got a good center of gravity, and then she starts digging those knees into the body in the clinch. I mean, her clinch work is just way above any other, other opponent, and coming from a Muay Thai background, that's it's really not too surprising, huh? No, definitely not. Um, one of Luma's, one of the reasons why I would be interested in playing her as a dog, I'm not fully sure where I'm at yet, uh, but one of the reasons I definitely like her as a dog is that is that Muay Thai clinch is the punishment that she brings up close. Um, she's scrappy. Um, she's not just going to sit there and just be a, a, a dead fish on the ground if Luby's on top of her. She's going to shrimp, and she's going to f- scrap, and she's going to try to fight her way back up. Um, one of the things that was really concerning for... Uh-oh. Guru just uh, froze up there for a second. Fifty six for UFC. Um, let's see, Guru is removed. He's going to have to pop back in here. Sorry about the delay, guys, but. Uh, ultimately, uh, I, I was really looking towards Loma Lukbunmi as a plus 140 underdog. Uh, I feel like, if anything, it should be an even line. And my ultimate feel is, uh, yeah, I, I would definitely want to take Loma in this spot money line. I know Guru is about to get into a point here. He's joining us back in. Sorry, everybody. That, that's never happened to me before. Um, yeah, all good. So- well, you're back. Yes. So one of the things I don't know where I cut out, but one of the things that was really uh, interesting to me and one of the red flags, at least that I saw with with when I was looking at Luma is that in her four UFC fights or four UFC opponents, um, none of them have landed more than two takedowns per minute. (laughs) That would be really impressive. More than two takedowns per 15 minutes. Right. So that's not really the style of anybody that she's faced when she's facing loopy here. Loopy goes for lands over four takedowns per 15 minutes. It, it is a major, major increase in grappling um, pressure and grappling skill. Because let's just simply dissect 
Grapplers. Forget the fighting aspect. Let's just talk about grapplers who she's fought. Sam Hughes. We're gonna discuss her later, but I mean, I mean, we discussed her earlier. Sorry, but she's she's basically a, she's a punch. She's showed herself to be a punching bag, and Luma was one of those people that treated her like a punching bag. Jin Yu Fry, a striker who is a very inaccurate striker, who then also tried to grapple with her and actually was able to take her down at one point. Angela Hill, who we know is a decent-ish striker, who is a terrible grappler, has a takedown on Loma. And then Alexandra Albu, who is no longer in the UFC and probably more well-known for her like OnlyFans than for her UFC career, and <laughs> also has a takedown on Loma. So while I'm extremely concerned with Loopy's weight cutting again, uh, just taking damage again, why she's taking this fight, it's all a little weird to me in general. But if she, if you're telling me no, not weight cut drained, fully ready to rock, I, I mean, just and, 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 and sharp in terms of a game plan, yeah, I, I think it could be a real problem for, for, uh, for Loma, for Loma. Because I, for, for Loma, because I'm not sure with even though with the striking, yeah, she could piece her up for that first round, but like the pressure's gonna keep coming. Can she continue to start uh, stem the tide, mm. or will eventually she get taken down? That's a great question. I do think that Loma is extremely strong in those situations and has shown improvement in her time. She now trains out of uh, with the Hickman brothers out of their gym, and they they are. Um, uh, big time, uh, I believe Jamie Hickman is, is the big time wrestling coach. Um, but they, I really think that she has shown a ton of improvement. And those knees, when you get in that clinch situation, might deter Loopy from even wanting to get there. And I do think Loopy does have some pretty good explosive striking. It's just you wouldn't want to get in a striking battle with someone that outstruck Angela Hill. I mean, Loma's outstruck every opponent she's faced from distance. And she's outstruck them in the clinch. It's it's all about I really, when I do really you know like Loma as a person as a fighter she's really exciting, um, especially for the, the the division and really when she's not even like truly like a a, a straw weight right shouldn't she be more of an atom weight? Yeah, yeah, I would agree. So, yeah, she fought Adam weight in Invicta, so that was her last Invicta fight, and then she comes to the UFC where Adam weight is not a thing. And obviously steps up. So I love mm-hmm. I love Luma personally. I'm I'm I itch to play her. I look to play her. I look to fade Loopy, but we'll see. Stay tuned yeah. to our bet MMA guys. Like you know, not to be a, like a downer, not to come to a full conclusion there, but we don't want to you know sell you a bill of goods that's no good either. So stick to our bet MMA page. Stick to those link trees. Check our twitters. Uh, keep posted with us because we will update. Yeah, I think uh, so. For this next fight, I'll be pretty straightforward about it. We got Rafa Garcia versus Natan Levy. This is one of those ones where I didn't fully get to as much as I would like to on it, as much as these other fights. And ha- part of the reason is that Natan Levy, in his you have the, you have like contender series fight, Tyler TB, you have the yeah. wrong stats up. You have yeah, exactly. Up. I didn't even yeah, I didn't even have any stats for Natan Levy. Or anything oh, like okay. that. So, so that's my ultimate point. Is like realistically, uh, I don't have a great play on this fight. 
I, I really don't. And Natan Levy. Yeah. Yeah. Rafa Garcia, Natan Levy. I mean, Natan Levy opened as a minus 135 and gets bet down to a plus 105. That catches my eye because for some reason, the bookmakers think that this contender series guy, you know, should be favored here. Rafa Garcia maybe had a bad look in his first two times, but is this going to be a step down for him? I mean, I, I just can't safely say at this point where I'm at in this week of tape study. This fight, I just didn't get to as much as as I would have liked to from an honest no, standpoint. I, I, I certainly understand that, and, and I, I'd, I'd have to agree. I mean, a lot of Natan Levy, you get a little bit of the Dana White Contender Series, and you're watching a lot of LFA fights. And, uh, and uh, uh, oh, my God, my, my shit crashed here. My, my internet's still being janky. And then uh, with Rafa Garcia, I mean, he had that impressive, quote-unquote, impressive short-notice debut against Nazarat, right? Hack Perest. But, uh, you know, so we're like, oh, maybe we'll look, maybe he's good, you know? And then he comes out versus Grootsmacher and just shits the bed, right? And had a very unimpressive performance. Maybe thought he was getting the finish in that, that first round and, and where he looked as though maybe he had cardio for, for days so to speak, against Nazarat in that loss. He kind of gasses out after that first round against Grootsmacher and then loses that fight. And as um, I think he might have been the biggest favorite on the card that night. Um, So just it's really like I said earlier, um, it's this is just one of those cards where you're going to sit back and learn something. Um, Rafa Garcia and Natan Levy will get another UFC fight each for sure. So mm-hmm. this is a good this is a good spot to really learn about them. Um, just on a crazy card like this, I want to lean to the dog, which would be Natan Levy, because I feel like maybe the fight should just be more of a coin flip pick them. But yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's really it. And uh, so let's get right along to this next fight, where I promise I did a lot more tape and I have a lot stronger feelings. Uh, <laughs> and you have the stats up, so sorry about that. <laughs> yes, exactly. No, no problem. So here we are. We got Pat Sabatini and we got Tucker Lutz. And if you guys know anything about me on Chronic Combat here, it's that I love fading me some Dana White contender series, guys. Um, Tucker Lutz, I'm pretty sure I took Kevin Aguilar against him, so I, I do, uh, do kind of hate myself for that. But... Ultimately, so Lutz here, they, they match up well as far as height. Lutz is going to have a two-inch reach advantage. Um, he's 12-1 and one in his career, 1-0 in the UFC. The things that are standing out to me, Pat Sabatini with the 11 submission wins, where Tucker Lutz has two, Lutz has six KOs, whereas Sabatini has one. His KO loss was a, he fractured his arm. <laughs> AI got dislocated. So I wouldn't read too much into that. But what I would read into is in his debut against Jamal Emmers, this guy goes out there, Pat Sab- or no, I'm sorry, not in his debut. In his second fight, Pat uh, Sabatini gets like hurt, knocked wow. down, gets fully mounted, fully mounted immediately. I mean, that's that's a little bit of an issue, right? I, I wouldn't say that the mount was the full issue. Um, he got. Well, that's what I'm saying. He was that badly hurt. No, yes, that's that was more my point is that he was so badly rocked by Jamal Emers to start that fight. Um, that yeah, that he's able to really crash forward quickly, gets in the mount, and then uh, uh, Emers just kind of starts playing the submission game with him because that is where Emers' bread and butter is, or where that is where Emers' bread is buttered, so to speak. But 
Sabatini is just um, an absolute savage on the ground and uh, just a different level than Emmer's. And he showed it even with a concussion. He snapped his leg. And uh, yeah, he had a, a, a big time debut, a big time debut against Tristan Connolly, right? Well, so yeah, he had a great performance against Tristan in those first two rounds and maybe kind of slowed down and dropped that third round against uh, Connolly for sure. Tucker Lutz um, has showed some, you know, he's really patient. Um, he's definitely like more technical than Sabatini. Um, and he really prefers that kind of technical fight. Doesn't prefer to be in some sort of ugly, sloppy fight. Um, I saw some a really solid, some solid left hooks from Lutz, and he had a, some really good timing on the takedowns, um, with like limited telegraph, which was which was pretty cool. But all roads for Tucker Lutz, at least that I saw um, on the limited tape that that I did see with um, with Aguilera and uh, his two Dana White contender series fights, for him it seems like all roads led back to the grappling whether it was clinching against the cage or shooting for the takedown or back to the ground, like as good as he, as decent as he was or capable as he was on the feet, like all roads led back home. Everything eventually was to set up the grind. And I don't like, I don't think the grind's an option here. I, just I really Sab- don't. I, I just think he's too, I just think Sabatini's too much of a wizard. Like it's, it's a problem. So is, is Lutz going to have the, the fight IQ, the wherewithal to like, I don't know, pepper him up, pepper him up, pepper him up for like three and a half minutes, four minutes, and then take him down for a little bit of like, mm. and then do that and then rinse and repeat that for two, two, three rounds. Like, I don't know. So, I mean, I, I would, I have made money on Sabatini. I really enjoyed Sabatini. I loved his, his, his regional tape coming in. I've been excited watching him. I was almost kind of looking to fade him in a spot like this because, again, coming off two, two wins and two decently popular wins, but like, I don't know, minus one thirty, and like I said, all roads lead back to his wheelhouse. Like, it's kind of hard not to take him here, and maybe, maybe it's really uh, uh, Lutz that's due for a due for a loss. He fought Aguilera, who lost his final fight. I mean, uh, let's put the final nail in his UFC coffin, so to speak. Yeah. The thing I come back to about Sabatini is I really just think I agree with you. He is next level on the ground. If there's one thing I learned last week from Daun Jung is that if you feel good about a fighter, that's really not that far off from the plus money range. Just, just play it straight because then you're going to see someone get and because I'm sitting here like, Oh, how can I get Sabatini to plus money? Do I want to go decision? Do you want to play Sabatini and over one and a half? Really, it's Sabatini minus 130. Just be happy you're getting it that close to plus 100 and just like, just play it. That's it. If you need to put 1.3 units to win one, do it that way. Like, but please just don't go betting Sabatini and the over or Sabatini by decision and then coming back crying when, you know, if he gets a submission because lots, you know, fucked around and found out. And by the way, coming back crying, he hasn't talked. He's not talking about any of you guys in the audience. He's really, it's really just me that is doing. Oh, it. I'm talking about Guru. Let me tell you guys something. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, talk about when, when we lose some bets. Anyhow, but yeah, it's uh, ultimately Pat Sabatini money line is where I'm going to go. Let's not get too cute. 
talk about not getting too cute. Uh, this next fight is is one that um, I would not want to get too cute with at all. Um, maybe if maybe if you have to parlay something, anything, because this is not the card to parlay things. Maybe is this our fight? I think this is our guy. He seems to be everybody's guy, which is now the problem. That's, right? Yeah, now that's, now that's, that makes me concerned. Right, because what's holding the line in play? I love when... Uh, All right, so let's talk I, about who it is and what the line is. We got Adrian Yanez versus Davey Grant. And yeah, I mean, listen, this line is ballooned. Adrian Yanez opened up as a minus 265. We're looking at a minus 320 now. Davey Grant is plus 250. This is prime Davey Grant underdog, No, you know, do, do what he does type of deal. But Davey Grant doesn't really have a size advantage here. He's one inch taller, but he's giving up one inch in reach. Adrian Yanez actually has a, a, a more fulfilled MMA record at 14 and three than Davy Grant has at 11 and five. Adrian Yanez has knocked out three, uh, nine opponents and never been knocked out, whereas Davy Grant's only knocked out three guys. And yeah, I mean, he hasn't ever been knocked out, but how many times have we seen Davy Grant get knocked down? Um, it is really interesting, though, because when you look at some of these stats as we go down, um, yeah, sure. I mean, the the accuracy for Yanez is is definitely a little bit lower than uh, than we're seeing for Davy Grant here, um, and even from distance. And I think the thing that we're seeing is that Yanez puts out a lot more volume, and uh, Davy Grant seems to have some combos that he works with going to the body and the head. But, yeah, I mean, as far as a well-rounded game, he's been there offensively grappling. He's been there defensively grappling. I can totally understand why you might want to be playing Davey Grant against Adrian Yanez. I've tried to fade Adrian Yanez almost every single time in the UFC. Ultimately, I just come back to I've seen Davey Grant get knocked down by Martin Day. I've seen Davey Grant get knocked down by Jonathan Martinez. You're telling me that Davey Grant's not going to get knocked down by Adrian Yanez and knocked out? Eventually, maybe. Yeah. I I do. I really do think that this is uh, the Yanez show. Um, I think they really like him. I think this is another good matchup. You you watch Davy Grant. He throws these kind of ridiculous looping punches, um, and you know it got him the knockout versus Jonathan Martinez. So kudos. But when you're fighting a technical technical boxer like Adrian Yanez, he's gonna punish you for any sort of wasted movement and that's like almost davy grand grant's like mo <laughs> so i you know what i mean so i don't he, i don't really I, I like yanez in those first round or two man i, I think he might get it done again and uh, so this is where one, guru gets mad at me yeah tell me so we look at Davy Grant's record. He actually has eight submission wins, but what's he got? Four submission losses out of his five losses. Adrian Yanez does have two submission wins, and he does have a jujitsu black belt. Uh-oh. And in a very short clip Uh-oh. I saw of the Miles Johns fight in the fifth round Uh-oh. against Yanez, we're seeing Yanez go for like a little, a little front choke series. And, you know, Miles Johns is able to scramble out, very high-level wrestler. The point being, we've seen Davy Grant knocked down a bunch of times, but never knocked out. But we've seen him submitted a whole fuck ton, right? <laughs> I mean, Adrian Yanez by submission at plus one thousand. As far as like, he's plus one. He's plus one hundred for a knockout, and like that is like the. Okay, so even less. Is that even plus money? 
Yeah, exactly. I don't know that inside the distance for Adrian Yanez is uh, plus money, but I mean, I would want to say like, you know, fade the narrative. Oh, you know, maybe this goes to decision, but I've seen Davy Grant hurt way too many times. What if uh, Yanez uses that opportunity to jump and like scoop the neck and go for the rear naked choke? That's where it's like really sketchy. So it's like, you know, maybe, maybe you don't want to go uh, <laughs> too crazy on that, but say, um, so to win by finish, Adrian Yanez, to answer your question, uh, we got minus 115. Minus 115. Yeah. So, and then listen, the one concern that you'd have about Adrian Yanez would be the grappling, right? But then you look at Davy Grant's numbers, and sure, you see an average of two takedowns for 15 minutes at a 46% accuracy. But you put some credence into those stats, and yeah, he had two takedowns of four versus uh, uh, Martin Day whatever he had uh and then this is the big one he had six takedowns versus grigory popov six of nine like yeah you're a real you're a real wrestler now pal. <laughs> grigory popov and Martin yeah, it's Day. all about matchups and reading into the stats because yeah on paper you know that looks great 46 percent accuracy and two takedowns Wow, that's elite. But then you look at the name that he did it against, and Yanez knows how to maintain his distance even in the small cage. That's why I stupidly picked Gustavo Lopez. Lopez couldn't close the fucking distance. He ended up sleeping for it. Yeah. Lesson learned, huh? Yeah. I've been on Yanez. (laughs) I'm on that Yanez train. I'm sure you'll be wearing your Yanez shirt this weekend. Um, That's right. We got Adrian Yanez here. Let's roll. Amen. Let's get on to our... Next fight. Uh, so we got um, name change alert. It's uh, oh. Joanne Joanne Wood Drop versus Tyler Santos. We dropped the Calder. We're only Joanne Wood now. She married a uh, head coach at Syndicate MMA. So Joanne Wood, 35 years old. Santos, 28. I mean, Joanne Wood giving up three inches of reach here. That's tough. Uh, but Tyler Santos at minus 380. And and Joanne Wood at plus two ninety. Yeah, really? Again, really? I, 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 can't, I can't bet against Santos here, right? I don't. I don't know. I hate to say that. I don't know. This is this fight is a full pass for me. Uh, it, and, and if it's not, it's dogger pass because I just sure Santos should be has showed herself to be way more aggressive. Um, has showed herself to be brute on the ground and and. And savage striking, and and we watched Joanne Wood in her last fight get controlled um, and a little bit bullied by uh, Lauren Murphy. So you kind of wonder if that could happen again. You know, I rewatched that fight, and that's that fight was every bit of a split decision with Lauren Murphy, right? I mean that that was I was there live, and then I rewatched it a couple times for Lauren Murphy versus Shevchenko, and then uh, uh, Wood here. Man, I I don't really know who won the fight, man. It was damn close. So if she put on that, I mean, the decent of a performance, right? Maybe she's decent. Then you look back at the fight before that. What's her actual wins? She beat Jessica freaking I, man. Jessica I. That's it's not really worth much. Who who fought last week? Um, whose really only good win was Jessica I? Do you do you remember? Oh. Oh, um, oh, geez. Uh, lost yeah, it was Calvia. Yeah, Calvia. thank you. Exactly. So we're wondering why Andrea Lee is smashing Calvio and how we missed the fact that 
that chick can't strike. And it's like, oh, well, she crashed her way into the top five by beating a Jessica freaking I, man. Like, that, it, you start to think that somebody actually had a decent performance or is a good fighter, and then you realize who they beat. She's beat Jessica I, a split decision versus Andrea Lee before that she's made this transformation. Um, beaten Ariana Lipsky and uh, Thorea, who's no longer in the UFC, a loss to Calvillo, a loss to Chikagian, a loss to Andrade, a loss to Jennifer Maya. Um, I, I don't know, man. Sa- Santos seems to be on the up and up. I get why she's favored. I just, as we, as you discussed in way less words, how do, how do we, how, how could, how do we pay minus three fifty for, for Santos here? Yeah. I, I ultimately did not like the fact that, uh, Tyler Santos got outlanded from distance by Molly McCann, got cut open in the first round by Molly McCann. And I do think Joanne Wood is, is much tougher then, um, I mean, most of the opponents besides Molly McCann, I'd say that Santos has fought. I just don't trust Joanne Wood to stuff the takedowns when it gets there. I, 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 I don't. Can, can we be and can we just give Joanne Wood some credit here? Even if Santos mops the floor with her, she's Wood is a is a is a leg up, is a is a step up from Roxanne Montefiore and Jillian Robertson and Molly McCann. Oh, definitely. But so, ultimately, I mean, she has three submission losses and Santos has two submission wins. Santos by submission plus 700 with all the top control and pressure and everything and the physicality. If you think that there would be a finish, that would be it. But I, I just I, I don't want to touch anything when it comes to this fight. Listen, and happy, I don't know. I, I don't listen. She's got so many knockouts too, Santos. She, Santos has 10 knockout wins. So. You know, yeah, I, I think it I, came I, more I, from size and physicality rather than technical ability. And I no, think well, Joanne Wood will be able to survive on her feet based off the technical ability. It comes to the ground and pound or submission I, ability. She, she, dude, she didn't – I just don't think – look, she didn't finish Molly McCann. She didn't finish Roxanne Modafferi, who was obviously one leg out the door, now retiring. She's not finishing Joanne Wood here unless Joanne Wood had some sort of bad weight cut or – Something mentally yeah. is not going right. She's not going to finish Wood. Honestly, I don't know what the line is, but maybe this fight to go the distance is the fucking play. I'm sure it's juiced up to all hell. Yeah, maybe yeah. just the fight to be a split decision also because Joanne Wood always finds a way to be a split decision. That's, I like that too. Minus, uh, minus 280 to go the distance is not the worst one ever, but it's pretty juiced. Yeah, I feel like that's where a cut stoppage comes into play and you end up fucking pissing yourself. I hate playing ones like that now. Anything like that's in like that above like a minus 200 range when it comes to like overs or unders because sometimes it just feels like we've been getting burned on those. Split a majority decision plus 330 on uh, FanDuel. So, I mean, DraftKings. Hmm. So, moving right along. Let's, yeah, let's get on to our next fight here. We got uh, Kyung Ho Kang versus Ronnie Yaya. A this fight was how long ago? Uh, at least a couple months. I mean, Ronnie Yaya got COVID, so this that's one factor. Uh, Ju- July thirty first. This was supposed to be on the uh, um, Hall Strickland card. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. So I mean, they pushed this far back, and that makes you really think about how bad of COVID did Ronnie Yaya have, or was this? 
you know, travel restrictions, stuff like that. I mean, listen, Kyung Ho Kong, three years younger, Ronnie Yaya is 36 years old and, and in such a small weight class, that's where you really see some of the explosion and some of the downside start coming in. I mean, Kong's got a three inch height advantage. He's got a six inch reach advantage. And I think he's got a huge advantage in the striking ability on the feet. Um, then when this fight hits the mat, I mean, Ronnie Yaya, 21 and one as far as submissions go alone <laughs> and Kyung Ho Kong 11 and one. I don't think either guy is going to submit the other. I, I do think that, that we could see some sketchy, you know, top control periods and, and stuff like that. But I think that's going to come from the Kong side. I think the size differential is just too much. I don't think Yaya has beaten anyone worth a damn in the UFC. And when you, when you start looking into the sample size, I mean, Kong from distance, uh, I mean, almost 4% more accurate. And he lands, you know, a little bit more per minute. The clinch, he does a lot more in the clinch. The, the one thing that you might say is, you know, ground strikes per takedown. Kong is is doing a lot more work than Yaya, and a lot of those strikes aren't significant that aren't even counted towards this. So uh, as far as, like, everything goes here, I just think that Kong provides it all. And I'm sitting here curious, why is the line only minus 115 and Yaya minus 105? I Honestly, because when I first looked at this fight, I remember being so sketched out because, oh, my God, Kong is so hittable. And and Yaya he throws all these power strikes. He throws everything into it. And then, you know, we know Yaya's game. He throws everything into his strikes. He crashes in to try to get to the clinch because he just wants to literally fall on top of you, drag you down to the mat any way, shape, or form possible and try to submit mm. you. Um, but what we found by Kang is that Kang's uh, defensive grappling is at least decent enough that he's not necessarily going to get submitted um, on the ground no problem and the striking that seemed to have caused him a problem is not these um one-off power shots it's these really quick technical combo strikers somebody like hakado ramos somebody like that um that that really had caused him more more trouble um it's i would say it's kind of difficult to say that like oh uh uh Yaya hasn't beat anybody worth a damn, but somehow Kang has Brandon Davis and Gino Canetti. Yeah, but think about think about like I'm talking about based on the popularity of their names and how they're talked about. I feel like Ronnie Yaya gets a lot more shine than Kyung Ho Kang does. I mean, I mean, I think that's just because of how long he's been in the UFC. I mean. Ronnie Yaya fought Chad, Chad Mendez in 2011. He fought Mizugaki in 2010. Benavidez mm. in 2009. I mean, Eddie, he beat Eddie Wyland in the WEC in 2009. I mean, that's why he's talked about the way he's talked about. Yeah, it. I just think when you look at like there's like at least statistically and how they've fared against the the people that they have faced, I just I, I don't see why, given their physical attributes, why Yaya is expected to. To put on her for performance against Kong here. Maybe I eat my words going forward, but I mean Kong at damn near even money. Give me that all day. Well, uh, what's what's our favorite prop looking like? Let's see here. There's a couple props that I actually maybe now would think about now that we're kind of starting to flesh this one out a little bit. Um what if we did and maybe you don't like it. What if what what about Kang just by decision only? Kang decision only. Oh, that, that's interesting. It's minus one seventy five. So they figure the same thing that I do. 
Yeah, well, I, yeah, because you save yourself the money if he ends up getting finished by by Yaya. Yeah, I I think I'm realistically Kong and just Over Kong. And a half. I'm, I'm learning my no, just just Kong. I'm learning my lessons, bro. He's minus one fifteen. Just play him. Just do it. But, like, but over I, one I'm, and a half is plus one thirty. And then you're sitting there going, why the fuck did I play over one and a half when he's facing when he a 36-year-old? And he hits him with a with front kick because Kong's kickboxing is fucking solid. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if this fight stays standing because they're both such good grapplers and Kong just fucking puts the pace on him and hurts him. Uh, that would not be a shock to me. You've seen Yaya lose by knockout twice and never get a knockout win. Kong's has two knockouts on his record. It's not that far-fetched. Two is not very many. Yeah, but that doesn't like with the eleven submission wins, he still has two knockouts. Dude, I mean, he's he's, I mean, Kang is very much a. He's got eleven submission wins, four decision wins, and two by knockout. So, listen, maybe I'm just scared of the Kennedy Zachek Wu versus Down Jung result because I'm still sitting here beating myself up that I didn't just take Down Jung straight up. You know, I mean, yeah, so but, I'm I mean, gonna learn my lesson. Take Young Okong okay. minus one thirty straight up. Take Pat Sab or I'm minus one fifteen. Take Pat Sabatini minus one thirty straight up. You know, when it's those close opportunities, maybe just play them straight up and, no, and take your winnings. I agree. That that was at least the way I saw it. So now we get especially, to especially when you have lines that time. especially when you have lines that close. It's different when it's minus one ninety, minus two forty five. You know, if we're playing minus one fifteen, minus one forty, man, like you're right. Just you like your side, just play it. Yeah, I mean, it, it it is you know very attractive to get the plus money, make a little bit more, but sometimes you just gotta nothing take what you more, can. Nothing is more attractive than a fucking green ticket. And more money than what you started with. Speak the truth right there. That's guru for you. Let's get to our Michael Chiesa, Sean Brady. Real quick intro for you guys. Chiesa's got a three-inch height, three-inch reach advantage. And Sean Brady in his UFC debut weighed in at 167. Whereas Chiesa was killing himself to make 155, is still killing himself to make 170. And has talked about fighting at 185 in the future. Michael Chiesa, 16 fights in the UFC. Sean Brady, four. And uh, let's just say <laughs> the, the talent level that Chiesa's face has been way higher than Sean Brady. I'm sitting here scratching my head just based off of overall wrestling ability and, and experience. Michael Chiesa, plus 140. Talk to me. Guru, what am I seeing here? I mean, I, I know what I'm seeing. I'm seeing... Uh, Michael Chiesa as a three-peat as dog of the day. That's what I'm seeing. Uh-uh. Because uh, the one the one way Chiesa loses this fight is the same way he always loses this fight mentally. Is he up for this fight? Is he motivated? Does he see himself actually as a threat to, to Usman in the title? Like, can he mentally... Is he mentally ready to climb that mountain? Does he really want to? Because if not, I know for a fucking fact Sean Brady's hungry. That I know for a fact. But if 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 the mental stuff is aside, oh, I heard Mike. I when I saw Michael Chiesa's mistake versus Luque, I'm like, he got overexcited. He's fighting Vicente Luque. He thinks he's got a chance to get a submission. He got overexcited and messed it up. And I, I that's what I thought. I'm 
far from any fucking MMA fighter. He also that's thought a, he had a shot for a title chance. That's so that's what so that's what I thought I saw. And to hear him say in an interview, I guess today, saying exactly that, that he got overzealous and got really too excited and was just so disappointed. Shout out our boy Alex for asking that question. Um I, I that really, man, that solidifies like where his head's at. I mean, he wants to come out and prove that he's a top dog here, right? That's what this is. They got the they got the young, the young, the young bucks nipping at his heels. Go out there, put a fucking stamp on it for three rounds. That this this young lion that people think is so good, and and show show yourself who you are because you he can get another sick top fight. I mean, he could get the winner of Woodley and and Bilal for I mean Woodley and Bilal, Wonder Boy and Bilal for example. Like there are plenty yeah. of big fights for him to go get. So he just I, has I just to come out and, and do it. Kiesa has proven before that he can use control over submission and he said it himself he went for submission before he ever had control against luke he had luke controlled he lost it in a scramble and then shoots immediately back for a single leg and just ends up in oh wait luke oh he's only the best guy with the darts choke in the entire ufc oh i wonder why that would be a problem yeah so i mean kiesa at first i was like oh man it looks like he's gonna survive the position nah it didn't happen he was way too overexcited as you said this is a step down as far as he's not fighting on a pay-per-view card. And two, he's fighting Sean Brady as opposed to Vicente Luque, who's an absolute fucking killer. I think Sean Brady does bring a lot of attributes to the table. He is extremely proficient in the stand-up. I do think his his lead uh, check left hook is very potent. I do think that he has explosive takedowns, but I do think a lot of his fights, he's been relying on his athleticism and his strength advantage, and he's not going to be stronger than Kiesa in the grappling here. I just don't see that. And He's not going to be stronger than Kiesa in the grappling. Yeah, he's not going to be bigger than yeah. Kiesa in the grappling. He's not more well-versed than Kiesa in the grappling. His signature move is a guillotine. I mean, and, and again, and then, and that's what I'm saying. Like Vicente Luque's favorite move, his his signature move is the fucking darts. I mean, he he threw himself right into the jaws of the alligator, man, and the alligator's so favorite do... thing is his jaw. So, You're right. And, You're right. <laughs> and 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 let's just be let's just be real. I, I pointed this out earlier in the week. Uh, uh, Sean Brady's last fight is Jake fucking Matthews, man. Jake Matthews. Where is Jake Matthews in relation to in relation to Michael Kesa? One step, two step, three step, four. What? Like what the fuck? It's kind of crazy. And you look at, yeah, Sean Brady got that sub. Great. You know how long it took him to get it? He needed eight minutes of control time. Eight minutes of wearing. This is. I'm sorry. This is just dog of the day. This is the play of the day, folks. I'm sorry. Just there's nothing else to say here. This is it. This is the spot. Has to be plus one forty. Gotta die, and listen. You gotta be willing to die on this hill because if not, if he loses, Sean Brady subs him. That's another mental mistake, and Michael Chiesa's career will be written off that same night. He will never be taken seriously as a top ten contender again. That will be that. Even if there, I feel very confident saying that he goes out there and gets submitted. It's it's a it is a really poor look. Maybe a split decision loss. Maybe he can overcome that one but i i do i i think that he's the more technical fighter the stronger fighter the bigger fighter um 
Vicente Luque needed 10 seconds of top control to get the sub. Jake Matthews, uh, Brady needed eight minutes versus Jake Matthews. And he's not going to have eight minutes versus uh, eight minutes of control yeah. time versus Michael Chiesa. Wow, that's a good point. So shall we, uh, as we move on from our dog of the day slash play of the day, we go to our main event, Kalen Vieira, minus 120, Misha Tate, plus 100. I, I don't, I don't know that I love anything here. What does um, she, what does she think she is? Augusto Sakai or uh, Carlos, your boy Felipe, who gets a main event off a loss and a lost missing, a missing weight loss? What the, what is happening? This so is let me you say this is that, yeah. I was gonna say, what? do you know what's happening? What's happening is that this is all about Misha Tate. This is the Misha Tate show. But I can't help but feel like sometimes when the UFC tries to do that and they have all these ideas and Misha Tate's talking about how she could get Nunez in the right opportunity, you're still fighting Kaylin Vieira, and Kaylin Vieira has a two-inch height advantage and a three-inch reach advantage. And, I mean, until recently, she was undefeated in MMA. She gets knocked the fuck out by Rene Aldana because she comes forward a little bit too much as she gets exciting, hurted Aldana herself. And then, yeah, we talked about that last fight. I mean, she won... 14 minutes and 50 seconds of that fight and then lost that that but okay okay no 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 no. i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry she was 10 seconds away from winning two rounds of that fight and that shit got turned around and she got busted open with some elbows in the last 10 seconds against yana kunitskaya it was and that says a lot listen you you know what you sound like you sound like the the you know the football player that that blames the loss on missing the kick. There were plenty of plays before that 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 caused the loss. Yeah, was she the way that the last fifteen seconds of that round ended? That third round for sure, Yana put a stamp on it. Vieira did not strike. She did not strike. She had plenty of opportunities to have possibly still won the fight, having that bad last fifteen seconds. She did not strike, and it was a fucking problem. And I, I. I really think it had everything to do with the weight cut because she just looked terrible. But when you look back at that Irina Adani knockout, she looked, yeah, she looked great to start off the fight and then got caught. But, like, we've seen Irina Adani. Everybody took her versus um, versus Holly, uh, Holm. Holly Holm. And that was, a, that was a bad pick, man. So, for I mean, not for us because we were all over Holly. Um you know, you you saw somebody get exposed a little bit there, man. So I, I don't really know exactly how good Ariana Aldana is. Um, I, I just think that if you're going to gas out versus Yana Kuniskaya, um, Misha Tate is like the better version of Yana Kuniskaya. Well, Vieira also missed weight badly and looked terrible at weigh-ins and face-offs that week. Absolutely pounds, miserable. Yeah, she did look terrible. Yeah, no, but she looked miserable. And then she still wins all the grappling exchanges with control. And then she hunts for a submission at the last second, which was so fucking stupid. So my question, I think Vieira is the more technical stand-up striker, no? I, I don't, Technical is such an interesting word um, to use. I just think that uh, Ketlin is the more powerful stand-up striker. She... I think she's also more comfortable she, on her feet. Because, because again, I think she because she wings those punches. She just she throws everything in them. 
Right, but then I don't. I think her wrestling and her wrestling defense are also a lot to contend with for for Misha Tate. I mean, she stuffed thirteen out of fourteen takedowns in the UFC. Caitlin Vieira. She's landed forty eight percent of her own takedowns. You have to look at against who. I don't know that there's, but I'm not sure that there's a crutch to lean on here. I mean, like, listen, Sajara Eubanks. We could say whatever she want, we want, but she's a great grappler. So I do think that Vieira being able to go back and land those takedowns, which, you know, uh, in parts where you know it gets sketchier in the stand up and stuff like that, like she's able to land those two takedowns when she needs them. She's able to land two takedowns on Katzengano. She's able to land two, a takedown and get two submission attempts and end up with a with an arm triangle win over Sarah McMahon. She gets a takedown on Ashley Evans-Smith, and, yeah, she lands four on Kelly Fashel. So take that for what you will. But um, consistently, Kellen Vieira has proven that she can land takedowns, and the only person she's ever given up a takedown to is Sarah McMahon. So is Misha Tate as strong or as technical with her wrestling as Sarah McMahon if she wants to go that route? And if not... Can she win a stand-up battle against Caitlin Vieira? I'm not sure either question gets answered with a yes, and I think Misha Tate actually might lose here to the younger fighter. I, I really don't think so. Um, They actually both fought Sarah McMahon, which is very interesting, and obviously it came a while ago. Um, You know, they, you saw – yeah, you listen. That <laughs> – I, I could see. I, like I just see a decision. I see a decision win for Vieira, the minus one twenty favorite. Wow, you're that's that's a that's a brazen pick. That is. A oh wow, 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 wow! Hold on a second. Hold on a second, because I just got a little a little sloppy there. We're talking a five round fight. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you mean? So, but honestly, but at the same time with the Norma Dumont and Aspen Lad fight, I'm sitting there going blah blah blah, and like, listen, they sit into a pace and they settle in. I think we can see a lot of grappling and a lot of pushing up against the cage in this fight. And I think Vieira is the bigger, stronger fighter. I will very much like to see how they face off and how they look. I just, it's really hard to trust somebody like Ketlin Vieira after her last. Fight. Honestly, it's hard to trust both of these entities. Truly. Yeah. Uh, I would love to see how Vieira looks on the scale. Misha Tate put out Marion Renault for her, for, you know, punched her ticket out of the UFC. Good job. And we saw, last time we saw Caitlin, like we discussed, she looked terrible versus Yana. So we need, this is a fight. If you even touch this fight before weigh-in day, you are a sicko. Um, you have <laughs> to watch these girls face off and see how they look. And um, I, listen, my, my prop that I lean to is Eileen Tate round four or five decision. Um, I think that She's she can weather the storm. I don't see her getting out wrestled or out grappled for a majority of this fight. So I think Misha Tate eventually can pull away, even if she drops an early round and she can get a late finish or just a decision, you know, 49 40, uh, 49 46 or uh, 48 47 right. type, of, type of shit. All right, guys. Well, keep an eye out for our chronic combat page on bet MMA tips for our final bets. We have a little divergence in the main event this week after having a little divergence in the co-main. I will say I got Marcos Rogerio de Lima last week. Let's see if you can get Misha Tate over me this week. Um, oh my stay tuned, God. Chronic Combat that listeners. Was just, that knockout was fucking brutal. Ben Rothwell did not come out to fight. 
That was Herb that was fucking crazy. Dean, man. How about Herb Dean? Herb Dean, I man. That's... I, I, Makes uh, me miss Dan. It makes me miss Dan Hardy because he was right. Herb Dean is just uh, hasn't been as yeah. as focused in the octagon. But everybody, listen. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, with no podcast next week because there are no fights. So I want to wish you and your families uh, a very very happy Thanksgiving and Boxing Day to any our uh, Canadian listeners. Um, and happy Indigenous People Day as well. Um, just take the time to, uh, you know, cherish your loved ones and, and, uh, give thanks for just, you know, waking up for another day and maybe watching some more fights. So, uh, thanks for spending your time with us guys and, uh, we'll see you in two weeks.